Behind every good story is an interesting person. This is Person of Interest with Q102's Jeff Thomas. Well, she was a fixture at WCPO Channel 9 for 20 years. Most of those years spent behind the anchor desk at Good Morning Tri-State before her surprise exit from the station last summer. But just because she's not on TV right now doesn't mean she hasn't been keeping herself busy. She's here to catch us up. Fill us in on what she's been up to recently. Catherine Nero. Welcome to Person of Interest. Well, thank you? you. I'm glad I'm still a person of interest. Present tense. Of course. Let's see. You did sports for a few years. Right. Mm-hmm. Like four or five years. You know, yeah. The first four or five years you were in Cincinnati. At what point did you seg over to the newscast? It, you know, it's funny. Uh, 2000. It was 2002. Right as you guys here. were coming here. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I got married and, you know, I, I was having to take off entire weekends to go to weddings or whatever. Cause all of my friends were from out of town. And I realized also that in front of me were Denny Jansen and John Popovich, two of the greatest sports people in this town ever. And I wasn't going to go anywhere. And I kind of wanted my weekends back a little bit. And they came to me with this idea of, Hey, we know that you can talk a lot. Uh, what about doing the mornings? And I'd never really thought about it, but if there was a news show that was going to fit who I was and am, it's the morning. So I'm like, let's Anchoring try it. mornings. Yeah, in news. let's try it. Yeah. Did you have any desire to be a journalist? Well, you know, I mean, I, I love writing and I love telling stories. And so whatever that may be, a journalist is a tough word for me. I have a real hard time with that word just because I feel like a journalist is someone who's investigating something big, not telling you that a house caught on fire in Covington. You know, um, I feel like I is even in the 15 years I was on uh, the morning show. I mean, I guess I mean, yeah, I'm a journalist, but and we would I did some very important stories about childhood poverty and, you know, in, incredible people and all kinds of stuff. But I I mean, my Facebook profile says news personality, and I think that that's for a reason. You I think that's accurate because did you traditionally television news anchors mm-hmm. cut their teeth working the police and fire beat covering City Hall, the State House, right? Yeah, and that is the truth. At least it was that way. These yeah. days, you know, all bets are off. Really? You've got, you know, people with two years of experience hopping into an anchor chair. Um, but I do think that being an anchor is more than just reading things other people write, which is essentially if I used to tell people, that's what I do. I read things other people write. But really, it's about providing that context and the perspective. And that's in this world where we have news at our fingertips. Everybody can find out anything you want at any time. You don't need me to tell you that anymore. But I can help provide content, context and perspective. And I think that that's what was the differentiator, if you will. But the reporting I did was in sports, which is a totally different kind of reporting than news reporting. Did you always want to do sports? Always wanted to do sports. But I've always been a newsy. Like I remember growing up, you know, eating dinner, watching Tom Brokaw on the news. That's what we did. And I see that in, in one of my daughters. Same thing. She loves watching the news and she, you know, she has that brain for it. But yeah, I always wanted to do sports. I think it's because I was really bad at them. This was like my way to really? save, save myself. And I love them. I uh, love sports, but covering them is a different animal because it becomes a job. It's no more fun. I remember one time watching the Super Bowl on a nine-inch black and white TV at the old Channel 9 building downtown. I'm like, this this is not how you expect it to be, you know? Everybody's gathered around their big, giant 50-inch televisions, and I'm watching it on a nine-inch black and white. But that's the reality of it. It's one of the reasons I switched over to news. When did you know? Fifth grade. I, I keep saying that, that I'm for the first time in my life, I am figuring out what I want to be when I grow up for the first time since fifth grade. And yeah, I've always wanted to do it. I started a 
newspaper in my elementary school. I loved it. I loved writing and I still do. That's my favorite. That's always been my favorite part of, of news is the writing. And so when Channel 9 came to you, how does this work? How does this play out? Like quite often in radio, when a morning show gets canned, mm-hmm. they're summoned to the general manager's office at 10.01 as soon as they get off the air. And it's like you know what happened, Jeff. Is that is that how it went? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I go off the air at 7. It was a Monday morning. I had a three-year contract. I had just finished the second year of my three-year contract, and they had an out. These contracts, you know, they're really good for the companies and not so great for the employees. And they had every right to do it, but they had a 60-day window where they could fire me for any reason or no reason at all. Without cause. Without cause. And that's in Ohio. You can get fired for anything. So, um, or nothing. Uh, as the case may be. So is I that walked, standard in the TV business? That kind gotta of, be honest. I, no. Uh, I mean, people get fired. You know, there's a lot of changeover. But I asked um, some people who had been at Channel 9 for, you know, 30, 40 years and said, have you ever heard of this? And have been told, no, this is unusual. So how does it work? Generally speaking, in television, established anchors, which you absolutely mm-hmm. were, you'd been there for 20 years. What types of contracts do they have? I, do, do they have agents? Do people not Some have Some people agents? do. I don't. Um, I had a lawyer draw up my contract. In fact, this last one I did myself uh, just because, you know, I wasn't looking to go anywhere. And I know right. that the standard contract is going to protect the company and there's not much you can do about it. I'd known this over 15 years of or 17 years of contracts. And so I, I'd never even considered like looking at this window in between the years of the contract. That wasn't even a, like, because I said no one had ever been fired mid-contract so and i really didn't think that that it was going to happen honestly i I remember though that morning i got the text come on up and i said okay and i'm walking up there and i remember i was about five steps from the general manager office's door and i thought what if they fire me because my co-anchor had been fired about six months prior and it's silly me i thought well they can't fire me i'm the only one left um and i remember thinking what would i do and i thought just don't cry and I didn't, so I kind of felt like I won. You know what I mean? Like when I left that room, I didn't expect it. I don't know that they did, but who knows? People weren't acting weird. Did anybody no. else know about it? I don't know. I don't know. How do they I, deliver I that news? So. They just slid me an envelope or a folder and said, here's your contract that we'd like you to sign, your exit contract or whatever. And, you know, I've gone through a lot of emotions since then. At yeah. first, it's like you're completely shocked. Right. I mean, I've, I have... 15 years of perfect employee evaluations. And I know that I get along with the people I work with and all of those things. So it was just kind of surprising. And especially when they, you know, the only reason they gave me was they want to go in a different direction. So was that the first time you'd ever been fired from anything? Yes. Not yes. Me. Oh my goodness. Yes. I've been fired so many times. For so I know. Many so many, I'll tell you what though, if there's one silver lining in this is that I have heard so many of those stories and it does actually make you feel better. And I remember talking to one of my neighbors that week and she's like, yeah, I've been fired. Like, Let's see, one, two, three, like five times. And I'm like, five times. Yeah. She's like, yeah, you know, the company gets bought and sold and you get hired and fired. And so I'm like, okay, well, this isn't the end of the world. I've been let go for budgetary reasons mm-hmm. was the first time. It was just a, it was a dying on the vine station that was struggling to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. And the poor guy was so nice about it. And it was near the end of the year. He said, look, I'm going to pay you like the next two months. There was no contract or anything. Right. <laughs> and he says, this, this will get you through Christmas, kid. You know, but I can't, I can't afford to keep you anymore. That was the first time. Uh, the second time, I worked uh, afternoons at a station in New York, mm-hmm. and they flipped format from a rhythmic top 40 to a hip-hop format. And they said, look, you know, we have a lot of respect for what you've done here in the past, but we're looking for somebody who understands hip-hop culture 
and lives the lifestyle mm-hmm. and we just don't think you're a good fit. But I had warning. I had a heads up. Yeah. And they honored uh, the remainder of the contract. So it felt amicable mm-hmm. to me. Now that you have some distance, mm-hmm. the media is under assault. Journalism feels yep. like it's under assault. Mm-hmm. How much responsibility do you think the electronic news media bears for the backlash against it right now? You know, I think that's a, it's an interesting question. And and I will start by saying this. If you had asked me three months ago, you know, where should people get their news or blah, whatever. I would have said, obviously TV. TV's in the best position. It's We understand video. We understand digital. We understand what people want. We give it to them. Now as a viewer and as being out of a traditional newsroom for that length of time, I consume news and I say consume because it's not all watch or listen. It's reading. I'm getting it on social media. I'm getting notifications, whatever it may be. I consume it completely differently. And I believe that what the problem the electronic media has is that the people making the decisions are people who are in a newsroom making decisions like a newsroom person would make a decision, not like the average viewer at home watches or consumes that news. And I think that that's part of it. So we're like, well, here are the most important stories. And this is why they're important, because there are police lights involved or because there are sirens. And, you know, it's like wrecks and fires and, you know, all these things that are certainly important. And I'm not saying they're not. But are you going to take that story and go to work and go, hey, did you see that fire that happened over the weekend of this house and no one was hurt? No. But you may say, hey, did you see that candy corn was first manufactured in Cincinnati? Like that might be something you talk about. And so I'm not saying that that we need to dumb it down and have all fluffy news. But I think that there's a certain storytelling that's lost. I think that it's um, we've we've spent so much time shortening stories for our shortened attention span that we're losing a lot of what makes stories interesting. Do you feel that television news, and I'm not just talking about cable, I almost want to like set cable news Mm -hmm. networks aside for a minute and focus on local television news and the three legacy networks that do Mm -hmm. these nightly newscasts. Do you get a sense that they add drama to the news to attract viewers and that is maybe part of the backlash against the media? Yeah, I think that in in generally, yes, I think you could say that. But I think that also it's tough to tell every story in a minute 10. And I think a lot of times instead of really parceling out, here's the nuts and bolts of the story. And the context of the story. Yes. And you got to kind of jam it down into that one minute, 10 second package that you're assigned. I think sometimes it's hard to explain the story adequately. So sometimes you have to rely on drama to make it good. And I think that. That, again, goes back to good storytelling. But, you know, in the best newsrooms are going to say, if this is a good story, convince me of it and you take as long as you want. Now, I know that that doesn't work in the real world all the time. But, I, rem- I, you know, I remember fighting for stories. I live in northern Kentucky and I would just be banging the drum for northern Kentucky. Like, don't forget this happened. This is a really big deal. And it's all about perspective because that's my perspective. I see that. I live there. I hear it. My neighbors tell me these stories. You know, parents of kids, friends, all this, they're not getting the same thing, they being whomever, but they're getting a totally different story than I'm getting. And all of those perspectives are important. And too often we narrow that focus to, oh, we're only going to cover Cincinnati news. Well, there's a whole world outside of Cincinnati that's still relying on us to tell their story as well. So I think that that is partially. I think that a lot of people's 
you know, kind of being disenfranchised by by news in general is the fact that it doesn't tell the stories they want to hear or doesn't tell the stories from their neighborhood. But I do think that local news can do something that nothing else can. And and weirdly enough, in this world of fake news and all these stories coming about and the assault from government officials and elsewhere on local media or on news media in general, I think that local news has a place now that it hasn't had in a long time. And it's because of that experience, that context and that perspective that we can give that you're not going to see these stories on national news. You're not going to see the local football scores, you know, anywhere but local media. And we have an obligation, I think, to to use that to tell the stories that haven't been told. Are you open to doing television news again? I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to If another station out. contacted Absolutely. you and said, we'd like to talk about finding a place for you here, would you be open to that? Yeah, I absolutely would. And But I'll tell you, I think I would like something a little less traditional. Again, I would have been on that treadmill for 20 more years. As long as they, I would have left Channel 9 being fired, regardless of what year that was, because I was just going to stay there forever. But I do think that now, again, watching television in a different way, I think there's an opportunity for a non-traditional newscast, whether that's a conversation like this or, you know, just something that's a little bit different than what we're giving them now. The other thing is, I think television needs to think beyond the television set. And I think that, you know, the conversation in the newsroom for years has been, how do we get these 20-somethings to watch TV? Well, you don't. You got to go where they are and wherever that is. And you got to give them news in that platform, whatever that is. And I think that until we realize that as a as a as an industry, we're we're not going to be um, successful long term. You sound like a consultant. I do, don't I? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just it's really interesting the perspective I've gotten being an outsider. You know, for three, this is the first time in my adult life. This is the first time since I was seventeen I've not worked in the media. Yeah, actually, fifteen. My first job was when I was fifteen. I was an intern at a radio station in Memphis. And so I've done something with the media since then. And so it's 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 30 years of this. And so being outside of the newsroom, especially like, for example, when the shooting happened downtown, it's the first breaking news event of my lifetime that I wasn't involved in in some way, like covering in some way. And it, watching it brought a whole different perspective of what we do. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, the other part of it is I, I, what I'm saying may not make money. And let's be fair. That's what we're all here to do is make right. money in the long run. But I do think that there's a vast majority of people who, you know, when they tell you, why don't you watch TV? Oh, the news is sad or it's depressing or I have to explain too much to my kids. They have a point. I get that. And I think that there's a way to make both sides happy. I think there's a way to inform and educate people while also giving them stories that they want, entertaining them in the process. We're going to take a quick break right here. But coming up next, more from former Nine News anchor Catherine Nero, her pathway to the tri-state. How she got her foot in the door at the age of 15, and the job that prepared her the most for a career in broadcast news. You may actually be surprised when you hear it. It has nothing to do with broadcasting or the news business. That's coming up next as Person of Interest continues. We'll be back with more Person of Interest in a moment. All right, welcome back to Person of Interest. I'm Jeff Thomas. My guest today former Nine News anchor Catherine Nero. She was abruptly let go from Channel 9 last summer. What is she doing now, and where is she headed next? But before we get to that, let's go back to how Catherine originally got into broadcasting and the job that prepared her the most for a career in broadcast news. 
It may surprise you to know it has nothing to do with broadcasting or news. My conversation with Catherine Nero continues now. Let's go back to, you brought up Memphis. This is where you're originally from, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And your first internship was when you were 15 yeah, this is at a nice radio one. station. So what happened was, they, this was back when they had news departments. This was at Kix 106. It was a country station in Memphis. And they advertised for a news intern. So, of course, I apply because that's who I am. And I got an interview and the news director, Regina Burns, she was like, this is really sweet, but you're 15. I really need a college kid. I'm like, okay, this is a morning show. About four weeks later, she called me. She goes, yep, I hired three interns and they all quit because they don't like the hours. If you'll do it, I'll let you do it. Well, I couldn't drive. So my dad had to drive me to this radio station at four in the morning. And I loved it. I loved it. I, I mean, it was back then you were literally ripping copy off of the AP wire and, cu- and cutting and pasting and not on a computer on pieces of paper. Um, but it was my first kind of like indoctrination into how this all works. And you uh, did this during the summer? Like you were still summer. going to school? Yeah, okay. it was during the summer. I would cut and splice tape, like all of this. We did a community fair show on the weekend and I would edit it and I loved it. And you didn't have any experience prior to nope. that, right? I just so, wrote, I, I started that newspaper, my junior high school. That, newspaper, that was about it. In terms of like the editing, the cutting no. and the pasting, you had to learn on the job. Mm-hmm. Somebody was patient and took the time to train you. on. Thank that, God. Right? Yes. It was a, it was a department of one. So I was the intern to the department of one. So she taught me everything that I could possibly learn. Was this a paid internship? No, of they course didn't have not. Paid of course not. Days, no, so. no, no. I did that one summer because then after that I worked at Graceland, uh, Elvis Presley's Graceland. What did you do at Graceland? I was a tour guide. I was a tour guide at Graceland. Really? Yeah. And I say this with absolute, uh, just a hundred percent positivity. It prepared me more for this job, whatever this job is that I have now as anything I ever did because you were forced to talk to people. I was kind of shy as a kid and um, like very shy as a kid. And I was forced to talk to people in a hundred degree heat in as they've already paid like 50 bucks to go take this grand tour of Graceland. And they're waiting outside in the Memphis heat in August and I'm having to entertain them. And it just taught you a lot about, how to make people smile and add living and all of how that. Engage stuff. them, how to hold yeah. their interest. Keep and you them see when somebody's paying attention and, you know, um, but I, it was ha- by happenstance that I got that job, but it really prepared me more than I, I ever thought it would. And so eventually you went to college. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to school? University of Memphis, right down the street from my parents' house. Um, and, and you studied well, broadcast journalism. And while I was in school, I interned at a couple of TV stations and sports. And I worked for the sports information department at Memphis. And so I would run stats and, you know, worked all the basketball and football games. And um, like I said, did internships. And and that's kind of got my foot in the door and started work right after right after college. What was the family dynamic like? My mom and dad and my sister and I were the, the four of us. My dad obviously never had boys, so he made the best of what he had. So I became a sports fan. So my mom's a, you know, career teacher. We come from five generations of teachers. So doing well in school was a mandatory uh, activity at our house. Uh, And then my sister, who's a complete opposite of me, is now living in Tasmania, literally in Tasmania. We're complete opposites, but somehow got raised by the same two parents. How did she wind up in Tasmania? She married an Australian who she met in Memphis. Then they lived here for a while and then moved to Australia. Then they moved 
They were on the coast and they were in the outback. Now they're in Tasmania. Do you mind if I ask what she did, what she and her husband do in Tasmania? Crazy stuff. Well, she's a teacher. She teaches all kinds of stuff. But when she was in, uh, she's an art teacher by trade. That's what she went to school for. But she, when she was in the outback, was teaching in an aboriginal school and was one of the only white people allowed on the land there as the teacher. And she would FaceTime us because they... The hour difference is interesting. It's about 12 hours most often. So like she would be going to sleep as I'm waking up or I'd be going to sleep as she's waking up. So she'd FaceTime us from the class. And these kids just, it's amazing. They have so little. Kids are coming to school in no shoes and she's teaching them art and all kinds of stuff. So how much of an age difference between you and three and a half years between us, but it might as well be 40 because complete opposites. So what types of things were you interested when you were going to school and when you were growing up? Did you do for fun? I was all always like a, a resume pattern. You know what I mean? I'm joining all the clubs. I was in band. I love playing. I played the piano growing up and then the flute. I still play the flute. And so that was my big thing. And then uh, in college, I worked a lot. I worked, you know, on campus, uh, like I said, at our sports information department. And I just was all about preparing me for real life. That's, you know, there are those kids you call old souls. I think that's who I was as a kid. Where do you think you got that from? Do you think you got that from know. your mom? I think so. I mean, she's, you know, she went and got her doctorate while she had two kids in school. I remember her studying, you know, sitting on the floor of our living room with her papers thrown out. And, you know, we had to get a computer back when those were crazy. You know, oh, my gosh, we're getting a computer because she had to write her dissertation. You know, so um, she was really driven. And I think that's probably where it all came from. What did your dad do? Sold insurance for a while and then became Mr. Mom. He was our stay at home dad for a long time because my mom, you know, was in school and was working uh, at the Board of Education, and so her hours were longer, and he started working out of the house and took care of us and made her lunches and all that good stuff. And you're sort of continuing the teaching tradition by mm-hmm. teaching a class at UC? Yes. It's uh, Media Issues and Ethics, and as you might surmise, there's a lot of opportunity for discussion about stuff that's going on in the news these now, days. How does that work? They approach you, or did you approach them with a curriculum? Uh, well, a friend of mine uh, couldn't do it. She was asked to, to teach it, and she couldn't, so um, she's in TV here locally, and so she called me, and she's like, I think you'd be good at this. So I met with them, and I'm like, this sounds great. Uh, Hagit Lamore, who was um, a former investigative reporter at Channel 9 and Channel 19, she taught this class and she's a full-time professor over there now. And so, I, frankly, I stole her lesson plans. And then this, you know, field is something that you can't just keep using the same stuff over and over. I mean, every week, I even have a segment that we do every week that I call In the News, every class, because there's always something in the headlines about what, you know, Facebook lying about the number of video views or whether the president uses, you know, kind of bypasses media and uses Twitter to talk directly to people and how that affects newsrooms. And there's all kinds of um, discussions to be had. And so a lot of it is current event based. How many people are in your class? This usually at 20 to 30, and at 25. This you time. get a sense of what they want to do. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, what I have seen, and I've done this for almost four years. And what I have noticed is my first couple of classes always ask, like, who has watched any local news in the last week? And this is in the e-media department at UC. So this is these are kids who are at least interested in media of some form. Not all of them want to go into news. Some of them want to do like, you know, audio or um, be an audio technician or, or maybe go into music in some form or fashion, either recording or, you know, production or those sorts of things, photography, videography. So I say, how many of you have seen local news in the last week? And the first couple of semesters would be about half the class, a little bit more. 
these last couple of semesters, as these years have gone on, it's it's dwindling. It's two or three kids now. And it's interesting what they want. They're very skeptical. And that sounds bad, but it's good. They know just because they see something online, Twitter or Facebook or whatever it might be, it doesn't mean that it's real. And they always double and triple check, which is interesting because there are many people out there who are like, oh, saw this on Facebook. It's real. You know, just like keep sharing it over, which is how we got into this whole fake news mess in the beginning. So they're a very cynical, skeptical lot, but in a healthy way. They have a healthy skepticism about what they're reading. But their consumption of news is totally different than yours and mine, more than likely. And the best example I have of that is the, the shooting that happened downtown. I asked them in class that next time. I'm like, OK, we're going to talk about how this was covered. So I asked how they consumed that news. None of them, not one of them turned on a television, not one. And that's the first thing I did. Like, it's the way my brain works. Right. Turn on a TV. Yeah. Uh, and then I wanted a, like a clearinghouse of information online. Like I wanted to open my phone up and go somewhere and find where the best information was, all of it together. And what they were saying is, well, you know, my mom texted me or I saw it on Twitter or whatever. And then I would just look at it a little bit. And then all of them, all of them wanted to get away from it and then come back later when all the news was was out there. You know, once they knew that the, the shooter was not running around downtown Cincinnati, right. they wanted to take time off from it so that all the news could be confirmed. Then we come back in the afternoon, read it, whatever. And then, you know, exactly what went on. But yeah, that thought process, which is to me, turn on a TV to see it, that's not there for them. It feels also as a viewer that much of the marketing of local television news is rooted in fear as well. We're keeping you safe. Yes. That you need to watch us in order to be safe, whether it's our our weather guys trying to keep you safe. Our news anchors are conducting an investigation that's Mm going to keep you safe. It's going to protect you from Whatever that danger is, do you to think save you money? It, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. there at, at what point do people either become desensitized to it or do they sort of backlash against it? Well, the marketing people will tell you the second they get sick of it is the second they understand it and they're taking it in and believe it. But I like to use what I call the sports page theory. And that's this back in the day when there were these things called newspapers and we would have them in the newsroom. And you'd get like 20 of them, you know, so you could look through the newspaper. This is before everybody had, you know, all of their stuff on online. If you ask somebody in the newsroom, hey, what's the first section of the paper you look at? They'd say, oh, the front page. I look at the business section. But the one page that you couldn't find was the sports page because somebody would steal it. It'd end up in the men's bathroom. Let's be fair. But they don't want to admit that's the first thing they read. But it's the first thing they read. So what's so what that means in this world of advertising and all of that is if you ask somebody what's important, they're going to tell you breaking news, weather and traffic because it is, it's the most important thing, but that doesn't mean you need it exclusively. And it doesn't mean you need nine minutes of discussions of barometric pressure. And it doesn't mean that I want everything terrible that has happened in the city of Cincinnati in the last 24 hours to lead the news. I just want to know it when it's important to me. And I think that's that context that we're losing. Is that yes, people say it's breaking news and they say it's weather and they say it's traffic and all of that's important. I need to get to school on time. I need to get to work on time. We we all understand that. But it's the quantity and the number of times we see those those promos that I think are re- it's really starting to desensitize. Breaking people. news fascinates me because I'm old enough to remember when the term breaking news was first used 
I recall it being the first Gulf War and CNN mm-hmm. used that breaking Oh, news. yeah. I remember that. And we saw how successful it was for that network and other networks started using it and local television started using it. And now everybody opens with, we begin tonight with breaking news. Mm-hmm. But what is the definition of breaking news? You know, I mean, is it... Because when there really is breaking news, right. how do you get it's people's that, attention? The boy that cried wolf, right? And I remember there was a time when newsrooms would like schedule in their rundown. So the rundown is like the list of stuff that they're going to cover that day. They would schedule breaking news. Now, now if it's truly <laughs> breaking news, how do you know it's going to happen? And right. how do you know it's going to take 45 seconds for me to tell you about it? Like it, we got to really be careful about it. There was a time when some newsrooms would say, okay, breaking news is any news that happened between the last newscast and now. No, uh. no. And then is breaking news something that's currently happening? When does it become developing news? All of these titles we give these things, I always wonder, does it matter? Does it matter to somebody at home what we call it if it's truly important or if it's not? Is naming it something awesome going to make it a bigger, better story? I think it gives it a sense of immediacy. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're getting the latest right now. But isn't that what news is? Shouldn't that be what news is? All news, not just breaking? You really do sound like a consultant. (laughs) I'm just telling you. (laughs) Maybe that's where I'm going next. Who knows? And you're still very busy. So between the teaching job at UC, I also see you on Cincinnati.com. Yes, so. yes. Is I'm it a doing, video cast? It, it's, a, it's Facebook Live. I do Facebook Live there every morning uh, for the Inquirer. It's uh, 10 a.m. Monday through Thursday, and it's called Coffee Break with Catherine. And it's just, you know, stuff that people, it's not going to be your breaking news and all that stuff, but it's going to be things that, you know, are important to families, important to people who might be at home at 10 a.m. and just kind of a discussion. And so I talk about stuff, people comment. Um, we go live on location. I say, we, it's just me. That's the best part is that they're very open to whatever. They're like, do what you want. Just do what you think people might want to be talking about. And I, by no means, um, in considering this a clearinghouse of news, this is not going to you know get you set for the day with every single thing you need to know. But it's going to be stuff that you may want to talk about with your family, with your coworkers, or or elsewhere. I think a lot of your viewers want to know whether or not you're going to stay. You know, is it possible for a station in your hometown of Memphis or elsewhere to woo you and say, "Hey, we heard you're available. We'd love to have you come to any town USA." I love Memphis, but uh, I'm not. I'm not moving. I'm I, I'm stuck here in a good way. I'm married a local. My kids are from here. I love this city. And all that it has to offer, it's got the, it's got the best of everything in a little kind of manageable package. And I like it very much. You've been involved in a lot of charitable yes. efforts mm-hmm. as well. I know you served on the board for the Family, family Nurturing, Nurturing Center. Center yeah, right? and you helped us out with that a couple of years ago. Yeah, and you know, I've I am see a lot of things, and I like doing that. I like giving back. And I grew up. My my dad was a serial volunteer. I mean, I just grew up, you know, going to MS fun runs and you know caroling at old folks' homes and at Christmas. That's just what we did, and so. I've carried that forth and it's important to me to, to give back. And this is a city that's easy to give back to because there's a million great organizations and there's so many great things happening here. Do you know what you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> it will be involved telling stories of some sort. Yeah. And right now I'm calling myself a freelancer because I'm doing a bunch of little things that I really enjoy. And, you know, it really took a while for me to get out of that mindset that I am a news anchor. I get up at 1.40, I get to work and I come home. Like it, it took a while to get out of that. And it took me a while to even think, what is it that I liked about that job? What is it that I didn't like? 
here's a spoiler. It's the 1.40 a.m. wake-up call. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it just took me a while to figure out, you know, where this is going. I don't know that I have it figured out. Still working on that. How old are your kids now? 12 and 14. And oh, how do they feel about mom being around in the morning? All they said was, does this mean we still get freebies? I'm like, <laughs> no. Come on. Now, they do actually like me. They they like me being there because I get them up more often than not for school and such. And I've never done that. I mean, and I've never done that. But what I tell them is and I what I said to my husband and believe me, this was a shock. This was not like day one. I'm like, hey, here's the positives. No, it took a while. But I said, what if I'm just a really patient, nice person? And we just have never known that because every moment that I've ever had kids, I've been waking up in the middle of the night and getting four hours of sleep total. Like, what if I'm really super nice? And that's he's hilarious. like, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> so I'm finding that I'm a little more patient. So that's really good. Yeah, Catherine, it was great having you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for coming on Person of Interest and Thank continued you. success to you. And you got to come back. Okay. We want to know what the next chapter is. All right. I do too. Good seeing you. <laughs> you too. All right. Person of Interest is produced by Natalie Jones. So if you found Catherine as fascinating as we did, send us an email to POI, which stands for Person of Interest, POI at WKRQ.com. We always welcome your thoughts. Also, feel free to make a suggestion for a future Person of Interest. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time for Person of Interest, I'm Jeff Thomas. Thanks for listening. These are the people behind the stories that matter to you. Thanks for listening to Q102's Person of Interest with Jeff Thomas.